Welcome to the Job Shop Show, where we talk with the owners, suppliers, partners, and customers of custom manufacturers. Listen and learn the secrets of top-performing job shops, the tools, techniques, and backgrounds that have made them successful, all on the quest of raising the bar for custom manufacturing. I'm your host, Jay Jacobs. This episode is sponsored by Paperless Parts, connecting buyers and suppliers of custom manufactured parts. The Paperless Platform is a secure, ITAR-compliant, cloud-based manufacturing system for suppliers that reduces the amount of time spent on sales, estimating, quoting, administration, and order processing. It offers seamless integration with the accounting and ERP software tools that shops already use, such as QuickBooks, E2, and JobBoss. Paperless Parts was founded with a mission to make manufacturing more accessible by streamlining the quote-to-cash process. Spend less time quoting and more time selling. Greetings, job shop enthusiasts. This is the Job Shop Show, and I am your host, Jay Jacobs. Many part manufacturing operations somehow involve machining, whether it is the actual part itself or tooling to create parts. Today, we're going to talk to Jeff Trevaro, who's been involved with computer-aided manufacturing, or CAM for short, software for 26 years. Jeff owns and runs CAMS in Delaware, Ohio. CAM stands for Columbus Advanced Manufacturing System, so we'll get into that a little more later. They are primarily a CAM reseller, but are also into additive manufacturing and recently robotics. What is slightly different is that Jeff has been a machining customer, buying machine parts, as well as he recently started a machine shop using the CAM software he sells to support his customers. So in effect, he hits machining from all angles. Welcome to the Job Shop Show, Jeff. Hey, thanks so much, Jay. It's a pleasure to be here. There are so many questions I want to ask you, but I always like to visit shops, and we are not physically together. So perhaps you could walk me through what I might see if I walked into Cam's office, into your office. Yeah, that's a great place to start. We moved into a new facility just over a year ago, and it was not easy to find that new facility. You know, when you're out there searching for space, at least in Columbus, Ohio, you find one of two things office space or warehouse space, but rarely do you find a combination of both. And we needed both for what we were trying to accomplish. So when you walk in the door at CAMS, uh, nice reception area, and you look off to the right, and you'll see two Mark Forge printers. You'll see the bigger industrial printer, and you'll see a smaller industrial printer. In between those, you'll see the Haddington Dynamics light industrial robot. And interestingly enough, it's printed like 90% on the Mark Forge machines. And uh, those machines print with continuous carbon fiber reinforcement, so they're very strong parts. And so, you know, you're already starting to see part of the story as you look there. And then if you look a little more closely, there's a display case underneath, and you'll see machined parts and printed parts. And, uh, and then off to the side, you'll see a banner for Big Rep. The Big Rep printers are a large format 3D printer. Uh, printing up to one meter cubed, they're almost 40 by 40 by 40. So uh, couldn't fit that in the front of the office. And uh, if you go around the corner, there's some offices off to your left and mine is straight back. If you go around the corner to the right, the first thing you'll see on the left is a training room. And we've got 10 workstations in there. We've got 24 inch monitors for everybody. Um, we've got an instructor table and we've got a projector to project on the wall. All temperature controlled, you know, hopefully nice, comfortable chairs. You know, if someone's sitting all day long, that's an important thing to consider. And then if you walk a little further back off to the right, you'll see an engineering support uh, area. And those are open cubicles. And that's so that as our engineers are supporting our customers, uh, they're learning from each other. We like that philosophy that iron sharpens iron. And, uh, and then there's a manager's office back there as well. And then if you go through the back door, then you're into the shop area. And so you'd see three through five axis milling. You'd see eight axis mill turn, um, inspection area with five axis CMM. And then we've got one of the big rep printers back there as well. And uh, in that space, we have the new Mark Forged Metal X system, which is a, a really unique uh, metal printing system, 3D metal printing. So... Uh, that's it. And you'd see, uh, you know, and the funny thing is uh, lately 
we've been having a lot of meetings uh, with uh, you know, our congressmen and city officials and things like that. And we've been having some of them here. So you might see some banners and, you know, pop up uh, displays and things like that as well. So local influencers, how are they or what is your message to them in terms of the importance of manufacturing to the community and how they can impact it for the positive in what they are doing? Yeah, that is uh, not a message that needs to be delivered. They get that fully. So what they're really looking for are the answers like, how do we grow manufacturing? How do we bring more manufacturing into the state? And I think as most of your listeners can probably relate to the biggest need is people, skilled labor. And so uh, we've recently started a, uh, a training program called 80 to work. We do that in connection with a company called MTS out of Orlando, Florida, a guy named Al Stymack. And he is, uh, probably the brightest manufacturing mind that I've ever met in my whole life. He's just a great guy. And um, with this 80 to work program, what we do is we take people off the street, underskilled, unemployed um, women and men, you know, women who are not in manufacturing women in any walk of life and returning veterans, youth, and we put them through two weeks of intensive training and they come out with the skills of, uh, you know, knowing a little bit about G code, knowing some things about machine setup, uh, Mm -hmm. a very complete, G-code machine simulator that shows them if they're doing the right things or not doing the right things, the ability to read some basic inspection uh, equipment and, and hand tools and, and that whole kind of thing. And then we do six months of follow-up training with them after that and kind of coaching, if you will. But so these, uh, the government leaders, they're, they're very, you know, they're, they're interested in our country being competitive and our state being competitive. And uh, so that's been a really refreshing uh, and really kind of an eye-opening thing for me. I, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't have any idea they were that clued in, if you will. Well, that's wonderful. That is the who, who pays for the two weeks. The and I guess the eighty to work is forty hours a week, two weeks. Who pays for that? You know, it can be um, any combination of things. It could be um, you know supported by uh, workforce development funds and things like that. Could be that the manufacturer themselves just pays for it. But we always, you know, we're always looking for kind of that win-win-win. You know, let's get somebody trained and into the workforce, and uh, and then let's worry next about, you know, and the, of course, let's give the manufacturer, you know, a, a great person. And we've even, you know, I recently hired uh, someone that I've known for several years, and uh, and she came in in kind of an admin role, but uh, we've kind of. Uh, borrowed the phrase from a guy named Gary V famous podcast guy of the chief heart officer. And so, you know, she's also working <laughs> with these people and, and really, you know, trying to coach them on the soft skills, not just the manufacturing skills, not just the technology, but you know, the need to show up to work on time and the need to uh, really try to be great in every area of your life. So I'm going to read the description of cams because I think it, plays into what you said and then i want to circle back to the training but i i think it's this is really important because technology is dramatically impacting manufacturing job shop manufacturing but it does get back to the people so the description of cams cams is committed to manufacturing excellence with a human connection our purpose is to support north american companies in making parts better, faster, safer, less expensively, and more creatively through the use of technology. We provide SolidWorks-based design and manufacturing software, including CamWorks, Marked Forged, and Big Rep 3D printers, 3D printing services, 3-5 axis CNC milling, 8 axis mill turn, and 5 axis CMM inspection. These are all technologies. So getting back to it, as well as training for each of these technologies. We're technically excellent, but relationships come first in everything we do. And now that you have a chief heart officer, it (laughs) it does circle back to all this in that there are wonderful technologies out there, but it still comes down to people. And as the folks who are visiting you are asking, how do we grow manufacturing? It comes down to getting these people trained 
on the new manufacturing technologies, whether they are already in manufacturing or whether they are new to manufacturing, looking for career change. Perhaps they have gotten displaced through no fault of their own. Mm -hmm. In this program, where do the people come from who attend the AD to work? Are they you know, we're, brought to you by ma other manufacturers, by customers? Yeah, right now, um, I say, I'd say the biggest source that we're finding is from um, local manufacturers. Um, but yesterday we had a, uh, a placement, one of the largest uh, placement agencies in the world came in and uh, just a wonderful representative from that company. And, um, and, and they are working with another manufacturer that's uh, – going to be, uh, you know, cutting their workforce, you know, as they retool some different uh, parts of their company. And so it may not be a forever cut, but just at least mm -hmm. a temporary cut. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, the thing that's gratifying is you see that companies care at such a higher level than they used to. You know, we do realize that it's a whole ecosystem. And, and the truth is, you could probably answer these questions better than I could. You know, you built a 325-person company. And, uh, you know, we're about a 15 person company. And so, uh, you know, we, uh, we're, we're learning as we go. Um, but, um, and especially if you then, if you go and look at the examples of, you know, what MTS has done is they've, I mean, it sounds crazy, but they've taken people who were homeless and taught them manufacturing skills and, uh, got them into the workforce and got them back on their feet. There is some, uh, aptitude testing that needs to be done up front, you know, a person does have to have a basic aptitude uh, for for manufacturing, mm -hmm. but uh, but beyond that, I think there's such tremendous misconceptions still in the in the country in general, maybe in the world in general, as to what manufacturing really looks like. Um, so you know, when I first uh, the way I got into the the trade was that uh, I grew up in Flint, Michigan, and it was a big thing and. One day, my dad asked me, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I'd never thought about it before. I was probably a sophomore in high school, and the thought had never crossed my mind that someday I had to be something. And sure. so the neighbor was a, a fireman, and so I said, I said, well, maybe I'll be a fireman. And he said, you know, you're good with your hands, and you're good at math, and I grew up racing motorcycles and riding snowmobiles and fixing them and all kinds mm -hmm. of things like that. So he said, you know, maybe you'd want to be a toolmaker. And... uh so I really never gave it a lot more thought than that. I ended up going to a vocational school in uh, Ohio. But the first job I had was in a dye repair shop. And, um, and they were a zinc die cast manufacturer. And I was in the how, tool room. How old were you then? I was 17 when I got that job. Hmm. And so uh, why, why a dye repair shop rather than McDonald's? <laughs> well, it paid a lot better. Okay. Um, I, I was, I think, making more money by the time I was 18 than my mom was making. Wow. And uh, I was working about 50 hours a week, so, you know, time and a half over 40. Um, and she wasn't making a lot of money. You know, we grew up a uh, pretty meager uh, existence. But, um, but the point is, is that, you know, one of the jobs I had to do was to go back and, you know, set these trim dies and things like that. And you're sticking your arms down inside this uh, multi-ton press. And they had this black goo called dye slick and it would get all over you. It was very hard to wash off. And even though, you know, every safety precaution had been taken, it was always a little eerie sticking your arms <laughs> down in these machines, you know? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and so, you know, that's still the, the perception of a lot of people of what manufacturing looks like. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, when you come into our place, you know, we've got um, freshly painted, polished concrete floors, um, nice furniture, nice, clean work environment. And so one of the other things that we really want to do is, is just change the perception of manufacturing. And uh, although we haven't done it yet, we've been talking about bringing even middle school and high school students in, uh, letting local companies maybe sponsor them for a day and uh, spend half the day on SolidWorks and then the other half the day on manufacturing. Sure. That makes a lot of sense. Have you worked at all with any of the U.S. first teams? I have not. Um, I know some people. Yeah. And so um, we sponsored uh, University of Toledo had a, like a formula 
I don't know if it's a formula electric, I don't know, one of the, one of the race teams, we, we kind of sponsored them, donated some software for them to use. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people who are into, uh, who are leading up those teams, but they haven't really made many requests of us. I'm happy to do that. You know, if anybody's out there listening and, and they have something special they need, you know, mm-hmm. we'll do our best. Well, that's fantastic. I really appreciate you sharing that with us. So the people side is obviously very important to you. And over the decades, it has become more relevant and the spotlight's been shown upon it with companies in general. So is that something that has evolved for you over the years or has it been something that has been a core philosophy from you from the beginning? Uh, you know, I would say that life hands us all some hard knocks. And, um, and so probably through that process, um, you know, I learned some empathy and gain, you know, gain some understanding of uh, how circumstances differ from person to person. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for, for us now, you know, the greatest joy that I've found in running this business are the successes of our customers and the growth of our employees and the teamwork atmosphere. So um, it's not about the money anymore, although we both know you have to pay the bills. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, you know, my philosophy now is that if you want to get bigger, serve better. I like that. Thank you. Is said in a different way from the, from what uh, we sort of put forth at Paperless Parts, where we want to oh, yeah. create more value than we extract. And extract essentially meaning the time that someone puts into working with our product, as well as what they pay for it. So they have to they have to save time and they have to make more money than they put out. So, but I like the I like the way yeah. they get bigger serve uh, serve better yeah Excellent. yeah well we have you know we as we've been exposed to you guys and, and the product um yeah just great great people and that's for us that's the start of any relationship we'll try to circle back to that later i want to talk about something that i have seen on your website and other materials that I've been exposed to about cams as well as a little bit of our conversation before we started talking online here. And that is, it just seems you are naturally curious. So maybe you can tell me how curiosity has led you down different paths for both yourself and for your company over the years. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I guess I would say that um, I try to bring high standards into the things I do, particularly in business and uh, in health as well, honestly. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'm, I'm always kind of looking for the better way to do something or the better solution. And, um, and you have to, and, and I think the truth is, is that some of the best things that have come to me in life have just been from keeping my head up and looking around and listening Um, I actually started the whole company because um, I knew I was about to get fired (laughs) from a job. I was working for a a small, uh, and now they're actually a pretty good sized job shop here in the Columbus area and a really sharp founder. Um, But I was pretty, uh, I don't know, kind of a cocky young guy at the time. And we were in a meeting, a planning meeting, and he said something that I didn't particularly agree with. And I rolled my eyes and he saw it and he stormed (laughs) out of the office. And, uh, and I said to myself, this is probably not going to end well. And, uh, so I, I made a list of 10 things I thought I might like to do. And, um, one of them was to sell this software called ProCam by this company called TechSoft and TechSoft has since been acquired and that company has been acquired. And so, you know, it's mm-hmm. really no longer around as a name and the product is long gone as well. But um, called up the VP. It was one of the things on my list. I said, you know, who's your reseller in the area? I think I might like to work for them. And they said, well, we don't really have a good reseller in the area. And uh, so the, I guess one of the key questions of my life was, would you like to? And, uh, <laughs> would you like to? 
Yeah. And so that guy made me chase him for about a month after that. Um, but we finally nailed it down. We became the distributor in uh, the Midwest. They gave us a list of about 60 names. And, uh, and they said, these are the current customers. And about half of those people um, said they were other distributors for the product. And uh, some Ouch. other percentage... <laughs> Yeah, had no idea what we, you know, what I was even talking about. And there were a few that were actually customers. Mm-hmm. And uh and this was like in 1993. And uh, you know, it uh it went slowly for the first couple months, but our fifth month in business, we were the number one reseller in the world. And um wow. and they had never had a a company that came in from the outside and succeeded. And uh I don't know, I was having fun and uh I was learning along the way and I liked the environment and I liked manufacturing and it just, you know, it took off and, uh, and it went well, but, um, today we're really in what's the biggest challenge business challenge of my whole life. Um, and that is trying to grow the business from being a single product business cam works now into solid works, you know, which is just a phenomenal uh, company. That's a company that has a lot of heart as well. And, um, and then adding things like the printers and machining and trading as well. This transition, this change from single product to what you're doing now, when did that start? It started in, uh, the, you know, it really came about in the winter of uh, 2017 when SolidWorks announced that they'd be licensing half of the CamWorks product and putting it in their product as SolidWorks Cam. And there's a CAM standard and a CAM professional. You know, mm-hmm. I knew that um, we were going to get, we had had an exclusive in the territory before that, mid this Midwest territory we're in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and we cover typically Ohio, Michigan, Indiana, Kentucky, Ontario, and, you know, a little bit of West Virginia, Western PA and things like that as well. And, um, and so I knew I was going to have some new competitors coming along. And mm-hmm. um, most of those people tried to buy us. <laughs> <laughs> and that was sort of gratifying, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, unlike selling rapid, um, I told people that they were Mac and cheese offers and, uh, not spiral Mac and cheese, just the straight cheap <laughs> Mac and cheese. <laughs> What's a step above Raymond noodles. <laughs> it wasn't a Raymond offer, but it was a Mac and cheese offer. Yeah. And so I yeah. could have eaten Mac and cheese for the rest of my life and uh, not had to worry too much. But, um, I felt, you know, that, uh, I mean, we had three directions we could go. We could um, bare our heads and uh, cross our fingers and hope for the best. Mm-hmm. Um, we could be prepared to shrink as these much bigger companies went after our install base, mm-hmm. um, or we could aggressively try to grow and compete. And um, that's we took that third strategy. And uh, hey, some things have worked really well. Some things haven't worked, and we're kind of restarting them. And uh, and so the whole story is continuing to take shape right now. But. But the ecosystem, this manufacturing-centric ecosystem with the philosophy that you can't teach what you don't know, and if you aren't doing it, you won't continue to be great at it. Your, your uh, skills will slide. Um, so that, you know, when I say if you want to get bigger, you know, serve better, you know, we're trying to grow our skills so that we can serve better, so we can be a manufacturing coach, not just a guy teaching you software out of a book. That was a question that came to mind was now that you're making parts, do your customers see you as a competitor? You know, um, it's something we try hard, uh, to counteract. Um, we're not trying to compete with our customers. My, I want their success more than I want my success, you know, not overall, but I'm, I'm talking in terms of making parts, you know, we've got a a small uh, group of machines, but you know, so we'll, bring in technologies, we'll test out these technologies, and we'll share any and everything that's working well with us or for us. And our goal is to help them get better, help them make more money, and help them have more fun along the way as, you know, as well. So, um, and, you know, we, we've even done, I've got a shop down the road, um, and this is one of my early customers, a um, mm-hmm. company called Exact Machine, a guy named Rich Arthur. And he, he bought, I think, in like July of 93, he was one of my first five customers and he's still a customer today and he's a great guy. Um, 
but you know, he had a job last year and he called me up and he's like, Hey, I think this would be better on your five axis than on our four axis. You could do it in one setup and it would take me a bunch of setups. And, um, and he was like, how much do you want? And, I, and you know, I just said, Hey, just pay me whatever you think it's worth. And so, um, you know, we're not trying to make a fortune back there. I'm not trying to become a hundred, you know, a machine job shop or anything like that. I just want to stay on the cutting edge and I want to be able to train it and teach it better. I want my applications engineers to be able to design a part in SolidWorks, put toolpath on it in either SolidWorks cam or CamWorks, mm -hmm. take it back to the machine, set up the machine, get the tools touched off and run the job. And, um, and I figure if my guys can do that, I'm going to stay a step ahead of those uh, big uh, resellers that aren't doing that. I think it's also a way to take that skills gap and with the manufacturing in-house, you have the ability when you hire a younger team member who doesn't have the experience, a way for your current team to not only show them on the computer, but mm -hmm. then to get out on the floor and say, this is what actually happens in our customer shops. So yeah, huge yep. link there in training as well. Beyond yep. no the, question beyond the, certainly the development of different skills that you can share with your customer base. So a, a win all the way around. And I like the phrase, the ecosystem, excuse me, ecosystem or eco-center of excellence. And that really resonates. So I think is a non-competitive situation when a cam reseller has a small shop to be able to do the types of things that you're doing with it. So I, yeah, we're, yeah, we're help. We're hoping to, you know, help our customers with overflow work, you know, things that they need to get done quicker. Um, another reason we really like the paperless parts uh, quoting system. We also, um, you know, want to help them with running technologies that maybe they're, they're not running uh, mm -hmm. to do certain parts. So it really is first and foremost, I mean, it's two pronged, right? First and foremost, to serve our customers and right along with that as, a, you know, an adjunct to training so that, because, you know, I, I mean, it's just crazy to think that you'd put somebody in a classroom and that they'd never get outside the classroom and that you expect them to somehow learn these machines, right? Um, it's got to be a combination of both, in my opinion. We used CamWorks as one of several Cam tools at Rapid. And one of the things that I really liked about the product was the volume mill. Perhaps you yeah, could describe yeah. what that does and how that is something that's definitely helping manufacturing and, something, and just a different way of approaching machining from a programming standpoint. Yeah, so Volumil is a great, great product. I, I tell people sometimes that I think there have been you know, five, six game changers since I've been in the business, and I'd be happy to talk about those if you want. But um, Volumil was one of them. And so volume is this ultra high efficiency roughing algorithm. And it's the idea when I started in the shop, you know, we had a half inch cutter and we were going to go a quarter inch deep and we were going to step over a quarter inch. Right. And I started so long ago that we were going to conventional mill on the manual machine instead of climb mill on the CMC machine, you know, mm -hmm. but, um, but then, you know, even up until, I mean, even today, people still use that, that philosophy or those rules. And, and a lot of times, you know, I, would say at best there's 50 50 out there of people running these ultra high efficiency roughing algorithms and not and there's a few of them out there that you know uh um, compete at various different levels you know against volume mill but but a traditional pocketing routine if you think about pocketing a triangle um when you put that cutter up into the corner you know you're going to have 270 degrees or so uh, or a little more buried of that cutter, I guess 270. But, um, and, and that is going to be your slowest point. So you have to program your feeds and speeds for your slowest point in the tool path. Um, you can't program it for the fast, you know, time you're zipping along the straight. It's got to be for that corner. And you get that heavy sound, right? When the machine kind of 
right, right. Uh, bogs down a little bit. So yeah. with volume mill, the philosophy is that we, instead of going down a quarter inch, stepping over a quarter inch, we want to go down at least a two to one depth to diameter ratio. So if we got a half inch tool, we want to go one inch deep or more. And there's guys running a lot more than that. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to vary our step over based on the hardness of the material. So if we're cutting aluminum, we might step over 40%. If we're cutting tool steel, we might step over six, seven, eight percent And, uh, and carbon steel is maybe 13, 15%, something like that. Sure. And then the other thing that volume mill does that's, that's really unique, it's doing chip thinning going into the cut, chip thinning coming out of the cut, and it's varying the feed rates to keep a constant volume of material removal. And, this, and the bottom line on this is that you, know, you find people getting um, you know, two to four or even five times faster roughing cycles. You see them getting three to eight times better tool life. And it's, you never hear that heavy sound. That's um, the thing that amazes me is you are removing material much faster, but you actually get longer tool life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, there's guys out there taking Haas mini mills and turning them into like high speed machining centers, right? Right. Right. So when did you start selling scam works? Uh, we so the product ProCam that I started out with in '93 mm-hmm. um, kind of more or less morphed into CamWorks. CamWorks was released in '97, and so we were using it and testing it before it was ever released. And we've been selling it, you know, the whole time. Um, um, so that's part we're of. We're fortunate. Thing. Yeah. Yeah, and you know now we've got some competitors. We didn't used to have any competitors. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're fortunate in that we've got a wonderful post-processor writer. And for any, you know, anyone listening today that you know, doesn't know the importance of a post-processor or a good one, they just haven't been around too long, right? Right. And sounds like the fellow who, or maybe it's more than one person creating the post, do you, what, what's the average experience how many how many years has the average person on your support team been involved in machining or job shop manufacturing yeah well i mean if you like working for me i can tell you those numbers but as in manufacturing i mean it's hundreds of years of experience on the team um but you know my and and i've been uh I feel like I've done a couple things well. You know, I haven't had the most uh, aggressive growth curve of anybody you're ever going to meet in business, but I have cared at every step along the way about doing a good job. And, uh, and so my employees, you know, um, Diana, who uh, is on my, my customer, you know, support, I mean, she's not customer support, but she works with all the customers. She's our first point of contact with all the customers. Um, one of our directors, she's been with me for 21 years. And Brian, who uh, writes posts, 16 years, probably close to 17 right now, wow. Nate, who's our director of additive, uh, 14, 15 years. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we've got a bunch of people who have been part of the team for a long time, but now we've, uh, we will have hired eight this year. And so uh, not quite, what did you, you went from one to 325, right? Well, we started with six, but. Six to 325. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so what was that like? That was quite a journey, and I have to say that our growth accelerated when we really started to take the ideas and the philosophies that I had out of my head and that were that the team heard but not in a in a larger sense and in a consistent communication. So we brought in a system that allowed us to operate the company on a regular basis. We use something called the Rockefeller Habits, which is now known as scaling up. And it's a pretty comprehensive Mm. system. But what I realized is that the core of it was that it went from me to team and what that really meant was it created consistent communication throughout the company. And that started from the vision. And I really liked the core purpose we ended on. And the core purpose of rapid was we manufacture time. And Mm, wow. Yeah. Everyone in the company knew that and you could make decisions 
at the micro level based upon knowing what the core philosophy was. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's, you know, that's something that we're in the midst of right now is uh, refining all those processes and really getting the, the message disseminated and making sure that everyone knows what we're about. Yeah, that's huge. It took a while to get to that short little phrase, but mm. that was part of the processes that we continually communicated and it was a joint effort that finally the light bulb went off in that yes that's what we do we manufacture time that encapsulates everything that we're doing at rapid so that was a lot of fun in that it did not just come from jay's head that the the team really created that phrase and i have to say one of my proudest moments at rapid was on the sheet metal side and we came up with a new manufacturing cell that could be scaled it's about 1500 square feet self-contained and all i did was say yes when they wanted to get the funds to try it out the entire wow. concept was developed by the sheet metal team starting with the fellow who ran the business david pulio but it was not just him. It was a, ver a bunch of people who put their heads together and said, how can we keep up with the growth at Rapid Sheet Metal? And I remember being at the ribbon cutting of the first cell there. And again, all I did was say yes to spending the money to try it out. And <laughs> And that was that was really neat. That was uh, one of those moments where you're really proud of your your child. And uh, yeah, so definitely wow. But getting back to it, it's that's how we grew. Is we we really brought team into play because I realized that the growth was being limited by me, and I needed. Mm other people to make decisions, but I wanted them to make the decisions based upon the philosophies that we had developed and how we wanted to serve our customers. Yeah, that's, that's exactly where we're at today is trying to pass on um, just kind of the basic rules, if you will, right? Mm -hmm. on, this is how we make decisions. This is what we're about. And, you know, just like you said, you know, if, if it manufactured time, it was a yes for you. And, and within reason, I'm sure there were other constraints around that. Sure. So that's where we're trying to go as well. And also trying to you know, bring in uh, higher and higher capability people so, and more experienced people. Yes. So before we leave this subject, I'm going to give a plug for a lot of job shops and other companies have asked me about an operating system and mm. realized that the scaling up system, great system too complex for mm. most job shops. And what I mean by that is probably any job shop up to 5 million or so is mm. struggled implementing it. We, at the end, at the scale we were, we had not 100% implemented it. So I have, rather than trying to verbalize the things we've done, created a open source, a free to let you go out and, and use it as as you can or want to apply it and it's called the shop operating system so if you go to shopoperatingsystem.com we have the philosophy of what it's all about as well as a program and all the tools to implement it and try it yourself so i am just really adamant that a company that wants to grow has to expand beyond the owner. And mm. sure, you can grow with the traditional hierarchy of companies. But in my experience, we just got so much more out of everyone. And it made life so much easier for me as an owner yeah. to not have to make all the decisions. So, yep. Part of my payback is I've, again, created this shop operating system for other shops to try to put into place. And yeah. Can I 
speak into that for just a quick minute? Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I'm, I'm, it's, I'm actually taking notes over here. So uh, I, I appreciate being on today, but I also want to learn from you. Um, I've, you know, I've been in, we've both been in hundreds and maybe thousands of shops, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, we've had thousands of customers along the way. Yeah. And you know what you find is that the average machine shop owner, the typical machine shop owner, they're great people. They're, mm-hmm. they're just, they pay their bills. They do what they say they're going to do. Um, they operate with integrity 99% of the time. But um, it's also tough, you know, for them. They're trying to run the shop. They're trying to do everything. They're trying to find good people. And, um, and sometimes we get behind, right? Sometimes we're not on the leading edge of, uh, of trends and, and technologies even. Um, and, and then something like this. And, and I think, uh, man, I, I just think that you're right. That could be magical for a lot of shops to, to start to uh, share the decision-making, empower the workers, trust that you're all, you know, about the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and life just gets more fun and easier. I'm with you. And it starts though, by being able to create that vision and some of the mm-hmm. other things that, so the, the team knows what you're about. So they have the framework for making decisions. Yep. Yeah. yeah. With you. One of the other areas that I have wanted to give back is the mm. company I co-founded, Paperless Parts, which you have been exposed to. Mm-hmm. I would like to hear how you think Paperless Parts is having an impact on the job shop industry in general and machining in specific from what you've seen? Yeah. So, um, you know, I've, I've heard some of the other podcasts and people who are using it very successfully. So we're going to come at it from a little bit of a different angle. And that is that, you know, last year we, you know, we're trying to get this small job shop up and running. And, and again, we're, you know, we're working very hard not to compete, you know, with our customers, but it doesn't mean that we're not, you know, quoting jobs and things like that as well. Cause we are, mm-hmm. Yes. And, um, and, and that was the hardest part of the whole thing, you know, programming the job, cutting the part. It wasn't particularly, I mean, sometimes it's harder, sometimes it's easy, you know, it's whatever it's, but you know, it's expect, but, but quoting the jobs, oh my gosh, it's just arduous. And, um, and we weren't really very good at it. We didn't have a lot of experience with it. Mm-hmm. And so this time around, you know, we've kind of been tweaking the shop and, and changing the focus of the shop, but at the same time, you know, wanting to be good at every aspect of it so that we can teach and share that. Um, we got exposed to you guys. And so even just last week, you know, I brought some of my people onto a web meeting with Jason and, um, and Jason Ray, just a great guy. I mean, the truth is the first time I talked to him, I just, Felt this is a really quality human being, and you know he's articulate, he's intelligent. You know he leads, I think, with his heart as well, yes. um, and, and he's just a total asset. And so um, I knew right away that if it was good at all, that I wanted to work with you guys. Um, and then last week, you know, we got our people on to uh, to watch another online demo of the of the software. And the funny thing is that uh, our director of additives, Nate. He was like, I've seen this system before. And, uh, <laughs> and so we've, we've worked pretty closely with uh, Re3D up in, uh, in Chicago, and they're using it for their quoting system. And so he had, he had the perspective of being a customer um, using it and just how easy it was. And, and boy, and you know, if there's anything you want to do for your customers, you want to make it easy for them to do business with you. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, the harder we make it, the less likely they are to come back. And so he had that great perspective. And then I had you know, my lead guy from the shop watching and, you know, he's loving it. Um, and again, I'm just, for me, part of the reason I like it is because they like it, you know, and, right. uh, but also the fact that it integrates with our website. So for us, it's just a, a win, win, win. And it's something that we, we want to share it with our customers so that, uh, they can make life easier and faster on that, that end as well. So one of the guiding principles that we are looking at is that in a 
job shop, the owner typically comes from an operations perspective rather than a sales perspective or a finance mm. perspective. And mm. if you think about that, where they add the most value is not in the front office. It's being out on the shop floor where they can, just through their experience and wisdom that they've obtained over the years, make an impact on reducing a setup time, changing perhaps a fixture, hearing a machining center just just doesn't sound right. Mm. Those are all ways where they can impact the top line and increase customer satisfaction if you can prevent a reject or make sure parts are delivered on time. So one of the things that we are really trying to do is because the owner typically it's, it's, it's his company and they are involved quite heavily in the quoting process, but let's decrease the amount of time that it takes to get quotes out the door and get the owner back into the shop. And yeah, Oh, by the way, if you get quotes done faster, you get them back to your customers faster. And we proved it rapid that the faster we return a quote to a customer, the higher the chance of winning the order. And it yeah. was amazing how many times where we would return a quote an hour or two after we got the uh, email in and within minutes we had a purchase order for those parts yeah a lot of times we were told by customers we had parts in their hands before they even got quotes back from the other guys buyers today are not waiting around for quotes no buyers today are more educated than they've ever been before they say that you know, over 75% of the purchase decision has been made by -hmm. the time they reach out to you and um and so you're right, boy. And I, and you know, your technology is, uh, you know, it's, it's for me to say it's beautiful. Maybe that sounds like an overstatement, but it's beautiful because it's elegant and it's, um, and, and I believe, you know, simplicity and, you know, actually testing it and, and finding out where things get hard. I love the Apple philosophy. You know, the Apple philosophy is we're going to make something and then we're going to put it in the hands of people and we're going to watch them use it and we're going to see where it gets hard for them. And when it gets hard, we'll work on that area to make that better. And if you keep doing that over and over and over again, then your product can do nothing but get better. And you guys have, uh, have done a great job with that. Well, thank you. And I want to highlight a word that you used earlier, friction. And mm. I constantly communicated at rapid that we wanted to create a frictionless business environment that the more we made it frictionless to work with us, the higher the likelihood that somebody would do business with us and just not look at doing business with anyone else. Because if you think about it, there are so many suppliers out there that are not easy to work with. And those are the ones yeah. where these guys perhaps are forced to do business with them. They know it's going to take time. Mm-hmm. And so if they can work with a trusted supplier who's frictionless, then yeah. that just gets off their desk and they can focus on the, the areas where they know they're going to have to focus on. So eliminating friction was a core principle of how we tried to develop the all the tools that happened at rapid and i'll share we sometimes made decision which frustrated the hell out of my operations folks but Mm. we would do something that was more difficult for us on the operations side if it would make the customer's life easier and i told Mm. folks yes we could we could do this perhaps more efficiently or better, but it would not help the customer. It would actually create friction in the customer relationship. So we're going to suck it yeah. up. We're going to figure out yeah. how to, to do it better ourselves, but we're not going to sacrifice the customer for something that makes us uh, feel good about what we're doing internally. Yeah, the customer experience, right? Mm-hmm. 
So I'm yep. a little bit on my soapbox there, but so it, this gets into something that you had talked about where you're, you're trying to improve the success of the average machine shop. And mm-hmm. why do you think shops struggle to improve regularly? You know, where do you see them struggling the most and how, how can we help them? How can they help themselves? Yeah. You know, um, it's funny that, um, if you look at the number of seats sold of CAD versus CAM, mm-hmm. it's about 10 to 1. So if there's about 10 seats of CAD sold for every one seat of CAM sold. That's what we think the number is industry-wide. Mm-hmm. And the corollary or the opposite side of that, that story is that you might spend more time supporting that one seat of CAM than you do the 10 seats of CAD um, because you do have things like post-processors and machines and you can make real world crashes when things don't work. And so, um, you know, so it's a, it's a challenging business. And then you look out in the, the shop environment and, um, you know, and you look at the, it's an aging workforce. And so a lot of the guys who are talented are now in their fifties and sixties and, and they're not going to be doing it, you know, for 20 more years. Right. And so um, we're starting, you know, we're starting to see, we've been seeing talent leave the industry and as they go, they take a lot of their expertise with them. Um, but also because it's such a small manufacturing community, when you really look at it on a macro scale that, um, what we find, you know, is that programmers, they find something that works and then that's the way. And, um, and then sometimes the minds, you know, snap shut and they're not always open or looking at, uh, at, at the, the latest technology. And, and we say that, you know, cam software is often like a Ford and Chevy thing where, um, <laughs> you know, the Ford guy thinks the Chevy's terrible. The Chevy guy yeah, thinks the yeah. Ford is terrible. And the truth is, is they're both great trucks yep. and, you know, pick one and run with it. But, um, but then pick the one that's right for you. You know, don't buy, you know, you might go to one shop and the Ford might be the right truck for that shop. But you go down the road doesn't mean the Ford's going to be the right truck for the next shop. And it's a little more complicated than trucks, as you know. Um, but so, so don't think that just because something worked one place, it's going to work the other place. You know, it could be that the opposite technology is much better. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and one of the things that we've done, you know, we won't take a sale if we don't think it's a good fit. And if we, you know, I'll recommend my competitor if I think they're the right solution for the job. Well, that's certainly putting the customer first. I mean, I think you have to. And people, and, and you, know, you go back to then the quality of the owners and the quality of the people in the, in the trade, they remember that. You know, and, and when they find someone they can trust, I mean, so you talk about frictionless and frictionless is wonderful, but then you add trust on top of that. You know, can we trust you? You're going to make the right part. And, and then, you know, then build a human relationship and you start to get the trifecta going there, and they're not going anywhere else. If you're being fair, you're doing it right, and you're doing it easily. Absolutely. Absolutely. We have covered a ton of territory today, <laughs> yeah. and we're, we're getting to a, a point where we probably should start winding down. But we haven't yeah. touched upon some of the newer technologies you've brought in house, some of the additive manufacturing, mm. the robotics, anything you want to share there? Yeah. Uh, this company Haddington dynamics, um, they are, you know, just like the other companies we've been talking about. Um, great people, great technology, super affordable, super easy to use. You know, you can set the cobot up and, uh, you know, in five minutes, you can be programming it and anybody can do it. Mm. And, you know, we're taking, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's not going to be the machine that's probably loading and unloading your CNC machine, but it can do a whole lot of other things. Uh, you know, you're looking at about a three kilogram, uh, weight limit at the full extension. Mm. Um, but incredibly precise, incredibly easy to use, um, very affordable, you know, under $12,000 for a seven axis robot. And, um, and super reliable. And so we're really excited about those um, and seeing where they go. You know, Mark Forged is making great parts. I don't know if people know about, you know, the continuous carbon fiber reinforcement. I'm sure you do. You're right down that neck of the woods. Sure. But, um, you know, they're, they're 
nearing and surpassing the strength of aluminum in some cases. And so that's cool. The Metal X, you know, really brings metal printing down to an affordable level. Um, so, yeah, what else? I don't know. It's just, you know, we're trying to create this <laughs> ecosystem. And, and, you know, here's, here's the last point I'll share is that, um, you know, design for manufacturing, design for additive, design for subtractive. Um, these are real concepts that are worthwhile. And, and I will share one last thing after this, too, um, that I think is a game changer for, for job shops. But, but learning where the part fits, you know, don't just take the machine part and throw it over the fence to additive and expect that to be the right solution. If you're really going to leverage additive, you're going to look at reducing the number of components. And, and you're going to look at, you know, design for additive. And so we've got guys on staff that are very, very good at that. We think some of the best in the industry, and we're always happy to consult on that stuff. We've done some super cool projects just this month. Um, and, uh, and then the last thing I guess that I do want to share that I didn't touch on at all, and that's MBD, model-based definition. Right. And quickly, just the idea that when my grandfather was a designer at AC Sparkplug, he was on the board. So every day he had his big board in front of him and a sharp pencil and, you know, his, his tools. And then we went from the board to, you know, really, let's call it AutoCAD because they dominated the 2D CAD market. And then we went from 2D CAD to 3D solid models, which were beautiful and wonderful. And tools like Camworks knew how deep the hole was, knew what the diameter of the hole was, knew if it was threaded even, you know. Right. And, um, but, you know, what it didn't know, didn't know if that hole was reamed or drilled, um, didn't know, you know, what the tolerance was on, on that pocket. Um, and so you always had the working drawing next to you to consult along with your solid model. So MBD is this idea that we're going to take, you know, the part manufacturing information, we're going to put it right in the model. And you no longer need the working drawing. Everything you need is in the model. The tolerances are in the model. You can go to uh, 3D PDFs, free viewers to view the, uh, the 3D PDF. And, um, and then there's tools coming along like tolerance-based machining um, inside Camworks. And, you know, I know our competitors have, uh, you know, things as well for that, you know, where we're actually looking at the tolerance and we're choosing strategies based on the tolerance we see in the model. Um, one of our best successes uh, was a, a company in Fraser, Michigan that makes mold bases. And they were using a very large competitor software and they were taking about 60 minutes per part to program them. And um, we took that programming time down to about 15 minutes per part. Right. And we used it by leveraging the automation. We, used, we leveraged the feature recognition and we mm -hmm. leveraged um, the, the PMI data on those parts and, uh, and the tools that were there to do it. We brought in a guy who, uh, you know, took the, the open API and, and we wrote a thing called the color-based macro where we found, you know, certain things and, and not only segmented them based on the type of geometry, but also by the color. And yeah, so the end result was, you know, from about one hour per part down to about 15 minutes per part. And um, that's maybe the extreme end of it, but we've seen, you know, great time savings in a lot of different accounts. That's amazing. The, well, part of it is you have to embed that non-geometric information into the part. And that's mm. where yeah. MBD really, if it's going to shine, that that's what it that's what it is and that's where it can make a difference hmm. yeah and how many times are you going back to the manufacturer because you can't read something mm -hmm. on a blueprint or you know it's it's old and it's been scanned and all these kinds of things uh it's just uh it's a it's a lower friction way to make parts right it's well <laughs> That was that was a goal at Rapid was to not have to use a drawing. So yeah, that's awesome, Jeff. I very much appreciate you spending the time with me in the audience and sharing some of your wisdom. If someone wants to <laughs> connect with you, what's the best way to do so? Yeah, so um, Jay, I really appreciate it as well. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I've taken some notes, and uh, I hope to continue to learn from you as well. Um, but our website is www.cutmetalfast.com. So C-U-T-M-E-T-A-L-F-A-S-T, fast, not slow.com. And, um, you know, they can also call us at 614-410-2300. Uh, mm -hmm. and, uh, and then, yeah, I'll my email is Jeff. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. 
I don't know. Um, yeah, or we can, they can email info at cutmetalfast.com as well. So, uh, and I'm on LinkedIn. Um, yeah, so any of, any of those ways is great. I love your website name. That, that's, a, that's, a great, <laughs> that's a great one. So, well, thank you everyone for listening to this episode of the Job Shop Show. If you have any comments about the episode, please visit thejobshopshow.com and you can post it in our running comments section for each episode. And until next time, keep those spindles turning and those presses cranking. Have a great day.